All right, thank you, Pastor Jonathan. And let me add my welcome as well. And to those who are joining us via live stream this morning, if you would like to be two steps ahead of me, you can turn your Bible to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We will also be in Acts 12 and Exodus 17 for those of you that are high achievers or like to plan ahead, all right? So uh, sermon notes are also available and they're on our app as well. Well, I've been looking forward to our time in God's word together. And as the administration pastor at Grace, it is observably not my main responsibility to preach. And so every time that I speak, I always remind myself of at least two important details. First, it's my intention to always be brief, be bold, and be biblical. And uh, secondly, I realize it's my job to speak, it's your job to listen, and I've been praying all week that we both end at the same time. (laughs) And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's pray. Father, this morning, we have sung with confidence, our God is alive. And we've also witnessed through baptism the life-changing power of the gospel. And so because your word is also living and powerful, I just pray you to open our spiritual eyes this morning and let us see something that you have for us today. I'm reminded the prophet Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. May that be true of us today. God, open our eyes, speak deeply into our hearts. I pray for just the filling of the Holy Spirit that I would say what you want said and let them hear everything you want to hear and nothing from me. We give this time to you today and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to set the stage this morning with a sentence that I heard from author and speaker Chip Ingram and it goes like this. When anxiety knocks at your heart, let prayer answer the door. When anxiety knocks at your heart, let prayer answer the door. I believe we have all had those random occasions, whether it's something we experienced, something we read, something that we saw, maybe something we even imagined in our own thinking that left us feeling very anxious about the outcome. So what I, what I would like to address today, seriously, is something in my own personal life that I feel like is always two steps forward and three steps back. And what I'm referring to is that ability to biblically respond to those difficult, often unwanted, stressful, seemingly untimely circumstances in our lives that create feelings of anxiety with us. So I'm curious, just in this last week, how many in this room have had circumstances that caused you to be anxious or worrisome? You know, how many have had those sleepless nights, overwhelming stress, that churning stomach? How many have had that, right? How many have had all three of those just this morning on the way to church? Yeah, okay. So I think I picked the right topic. Well, anxiety is defined as the emotion of dread, fear, apprehension, and uneasiness. And we often feel anxious when those sudden twists and turns, whether personal or world events, disrupt our ability to control our circumstances, and it makes us realize we don't have a solution. And we realize things are totally out of our control, but we want them back in our control. 
And when we worry, we feel like we're being responsible. (laughs) And so the legitimate question this morning, as we look at Philippians chapter four, and and these verses will be on the screens behind me, because this uh, portion of scripture gives us some real clear instruction here concerning this. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So when we read that scripture, the legitimate question this morning is, is it really seriously possible to not be anxious about anything? And you might be thinking, can I seriously really experience the peace of God in my life instead of fear and anxiety and troubling circumstances. Is that even possible? Well, the answer to both of those questions is a resounding yes, because that is God's word. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, one of my favorite devotional books is titled New Morning Mercies, written by Paul Tripp. And listen to what he shares concerning fear. Fear in a believer is a function of forgetfulness. To a degree, we forget who God is, who we are as his child, and what he's given to us in his grace. I'm deeply persuaded that the only solution to fear is fear. And this is what he means. When the fear of God, and we're talking about trust, trusting God, we're not cowarding from God, we're not afraid of him, we're trusting When the fear of God overwhelms and controls your heart, it protects you from the paralyzing and debilitating fear of other things. It's only when God looms hugely larger than anything you could ever face in this fallen world that your heart is able to experience peace, even when you don't understand what is happening and you don't have the power to solve it. And so I want to share three examples in scripture this morning of what I would call alarming situations. And uh, my hope is we we leave here today with what we need to live in this vertical fear, which is the fear of God, and allow it to quiet the horizontal fear, which is the fear of everything else. And and my my desire is not that we just all become super saints and, and we're just, we never have a worrisome thought, but it's that we're growing in that grace that God is growing us in. It's, it's, it's letting him, it's how, how serious do you want Christ to be the Lord of your life? And so that's the intention here this morning is that we learn how to live in this vertical fear. So if you're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse one. It's a lengthy passage, but I think it's one of the most powerful stories in scripture. Again, the words will be on the slide behind me. Second Chronicles 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazon Tamar. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. 
Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you in Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly destroy and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. You know, notice this story doesn't start out once upon a time because this is an actual event that happened in scripture recorded preserved and passed down through the ages and given to us through God's word. 
And it just seems like it's another day in the life of King Jehoshaphat when he gets some really bad news. A vast army is coming to attack. And it doesn't seem fair because Israel had spared these nations centuries before. So Jehoshaphat calls a prayer meeting and they fast and they pray. And he acknowledges and he praises God for who he is. He prays in detail. He expresses a trust and a dependence. And he says the best thing that any of us could say in these kind of situations in verse 12, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That is the best thing you can pray. So following this, God speaks through the prophet, the prophet Jehaziel. And he gives them the most bizarre battle strategy. You know, we're all familiar with that saying, don't just stand there, do something. The prophet says, don't just do something, stand there. Amen. And so it's, it's clear to me that God often gives us directions and answers that seriously do not make sense to us. <laughs> but as we see in this portion of scripture, it made all the sense in the world. And so they choose a group of people to sing and they put them in front of the army probably had a terrible recruitment for choir members later on in, in Jerusalem. Because as the scripture said, they put the, the, the worship team in front of the army and then they said, just go out there and sing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And so when they did that, God confused the enemies. They killed each other, they devoured each other. And then there stands the worship team in the army like, well, nothing to see here. And so, what an incredible portion of scripture. So what, what are some things we can learn here? Number one, disruptions in our life are divine appointments. Disruptions in our life are divine appointments. All of life's events are a part of God's purpose for me, the good and the unpleasant. And I will say, after so many years of walking with the Lord, every disruption in my life has turned out to be for my good. Next, prayer should always be our first response in difficult situations. Sometimes when these situations come up, we want to immediately reach out, call somebody, text somebody, let them know what's going on. And that's good. But prayer should always be our first response in difficult situations. We also see that community prayer is powerful. They gathered together to pray and to fast and to seek the Lord. In this same book, 2 Chronicles, in chapter 7, is a verse of scripture that's really a message, a sermon, all of, all of its own, and it's found in 14, and many of us are familiar. Listen to what it says, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Grace Church, community prayer is powerful. Well, next, praising God can lead to his wonder-working power. Praising God can lead to his wonder-working power. I'm reminded of an older song and it goes something like this. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. And the next verse is this. 
For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. And so when the people began to praise God, the enemies turned on each other, destroyed each other, and no one made it out alive. Never underestimate the power of praise. Notice also, God has unlimited solutions to our problems. In verse 20, it says, believe in his prophets and and prosper. And in this case, the prophet basically said, worship will be our weapon. Worship will be our weapon. And they won the battle. So in every circumstance, we must respond with faith in God and his word. And it reminds me of the saying, faith is acting like something is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Faith is acting like something is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so simply because God said so. So let's go to Acts chapter 12. Again, the verses are behind me. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people at Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. Well, in this account, we read that King Herod is persecuting the church. 
And that should be no surprise because future kings are going to continue to persecute the church. And when he killed James, he saw that it pleased the crowd so much that he decided, I'm going to go after Peter next. And so Peter was bound in prison, but prayer was being loosed by the church. That's, an, that's a sermon title right there, right? Prayer was, prayer was being loosed while Peter was being bound. So God sends an angel, and he supernaturally caused the chains to fall off of Peter. I think, it's, I think it's really humorous that Peter's arrival at the house where the believers were fervently praying because they're having this prayer meeting and they're calling on God and you know, James has been killed and Peter's in prison and we need, you to, we need you to release him. And there's a knock at the door and so Rhoda goes and, and it's Peter and she runs in and she says, guys, it's time to close a prayer meeting. Peter's here, God's answered our prayer. You've gotta be crazy. They go back to praying, fervently praying again. And she keeps insisting. God, I'm telling you, Peter, Peter's at the gate. You don't have to pray anymore. Well, it must be his angel. I don't know who was praying more, those people for Peter or Peter praying for them to wake up and listen and come to the door to find that he's, I'm standing right here. So it's, it says that he keeps knocking and then they come to the gate and when they see him, they're astonished. So what can we learn here? Again, there is power when the church prays. Verse five says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. The Greek word for constant or fervently praying, it's a medical, medical term described to stretch a muscle to its limits. And so fervent prayer will stretch us. It's intense and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. Next, we notice that Peter was sitting in the prison, worried, right? Not at all. It says Peter was sleeping. Well, we learn here that I can sleep at night because of sovereignty and providence. Because God knows and he controls every detail of my life, the good and the unpleasant, I can rest in that. Peter was not counting sheep. He was counting on the shepherd of his soul. Also, we must be watchful. Be watchful because God answers prayer. That fervently praying church was praying in earnest, but they lacked expectation. If it's worth praying about, it's worth watching for an answer. Never underestimate the prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. R.A. Torrey said, prayer can do anything that God can do. So our third event is found in Exodus chapter 17, that second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter 17. We pick it up here in verse 8. We read, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. 
Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. We didn't look at the preceding verses of that group of scripture, but if we would have, we would have been reminded of the situation where the children of Israel were quarreling with Moses again for bringing them out of Egypt. They were upset with him because they were parched. There was no water to drink. And so, you know, typically when, when, when people get upset with God, they take it out on their leaders like they did with Moses continually. And so God tells Moses, well, just strike the rock with that rod. And he does, and water comes gushing out. And so having satisfied the people, Moses is now faced with these nomadic Amalekites apparently wanting to drive the Israelites out of this pleasant oasis and they're desiring to secure the territory. So Moses now has a military situation and he tells Joshua, I need you to get an army and and you're gonna go out and fight. Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they're gonna go up to the top of the mountain and they're gonna pray while you're fighting. And so when Moses held the rod of God above his hands, they were winning and when his hands went down, they were losing the battle. So as we read, they put a, rock under Moses and they stood on the sides and they held his hands. If you ever just tried to put your hands up and hold up for like 15 minutes, it, it's one of the most difficult things to do. So first in this narrative here, we see that there is no greater weapon than praying in the spirit. There's no greater weapon than praying in the spirit. Ephesians 6 tells us praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Secondly, prayer conveys dependence upon God. Prayerlessness is otherwise. Prayer communicates or conveys dependence. Next, perhaps things happen when we pray that would not happen if we didn't pray. Perhaps things happen when we pray that would not happen if we don't pray. We should pray about everything. Notice also that prayer partners are essential. Do you have an Aaron? Do you have a her in your life? Everybody needs an Aaron. Everybody needs a her in their life. So we began this morning by saying, when anxiety knocks at your heart, let prayer answer the door. All the situations we looked at had a common thread of potential anxiety as a first response. King Jehoshaphat was alarmed. The church witnessed the murder of James. They saw Peter being jailed. Moses was facing a sure defeat just by depending upon physical strength. Let's now look at the instruction given to us in Philippians by the Apostle Paul of how to respond when we find ourselves in these stressful, anxiety-producing, fearful Situations. Back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. I greatly appreciate the detail the Holy Spirit brings to the scripture. I greatly appreciate the word nothing. In the myriad challenges of your life and my life, is there at least one thing that we get an exemption on that we can worry about? The answer is no. Because the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. 
This takes us back to the thoughts of Paul Tripp that I shared earlier. When the fear of God overwhelms and controls your heart, it protects you from the paralyzing and debilitating fear of other things. You know, we, we, realize, we realize fear is really no small issue. Someone once shared with me, fear stands for false expectations appearing real. And that's always a great reminder. You know, fear can eat away at our soul. It can distort our emotions. It can destroy our relationships. It can choke the life out of us. So the promise is that God can replace worry and anxiety with inner peace through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And it's not a peace that we create. You can't conjure this up. It's supernaturally given to us by God himself. So how do we experience this? How can this be a reality in our life? In, that, in those few scriptures right there, there are four words that I want to focus on. And if we put them into practice, I think we should see a decreasing frequency of, of worry and, and anxiety in our life. And those four words are prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and requests. Notice verse 6, in everything by prayer. The word Paul is using for prayer here in the New Testament, it's, it's just a common word for prayer, which means it involves shifting our focus upon God. At the moment that I feel anxious, I should immediately worship and praise God for who he is and that he has knowledge of my situation, that he's total control of my life. So when anxiety knocks at the door of our heart, this type of prayer should answer the door. This type of prayer puts God between us and our anxious thoughts. And it's when we magnify God and not our problems that we're worshiping him. The second word is petition. But in everything by prayer and petition, when we face a problem or concern, our first thought might be, and how am I going to fix this? Or how is this going to affect me going forward? What can I do about this? Well, I've learned that the more I dwell on how to fix or control something that's totally out of my control, it just, it just makes me more overwhelmed. And it's at that point I realized I need to petition God for his intervention. The first prayer was adoration. This is petition or confession. In effect, I'm saying, God, I can't handle this situation. I don't know what to do. And unless you intervene, I don't see a way out. Again, it's Jehoshaphat back in 2 Chronicles 20, 12. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. We have no other option than to seek God's help. And when we bring our petition to God, in effect, we're saying, Lord, I know you care for me. I can't handle this. I'm yielding to you. I'm yielding to you and I'm trusting you in this situation. Well, following prayer and petition is thanksgiving. But in everything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. When I'm troubled, when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm faced with things that I can't control, there is real value in remembering what God has done for me in the past. I've learned that anxiety and thankfulness cannot coexist. And so I've kept a list actually of the many ways God has taken care of me and my family in the past in really difficult situations. And I, when I review those, 
It gives me encouragement. It gives me confidence again. It reminds me of God is all powerful. And it takes me back to Psalm 77. Now, I don't know the last time you might have read it, but let me share a little bit about Psalm 77. The psalmist is basically coming unglued. He can't sleep at night. He thinks God has forgotten him. He refuses to be comforted. His spirit is overwhelmed. He has serious depression. Listen to a portion of Psalm 77, beginning in verse two. In the day of trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. That's not a good start. When you say, Lord, when I think about you, I'm troubled. But he's being honest with God and says, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Verse seven, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And then in verse 10, he has a complete turnaround. He says, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the most high. Verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Has there ever been a time in your life when you feel like God is completely absent? You feel like you're, you're praying and it's like the old saying, it's like sending a letter without a stamp, return to sender. You know, it seems like God is just nowhere. Has anybody ever felt that? Have you? That's what the psalmist is saying. It, Where's God? And then he comes to a sense as he says, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna start remembering what God did in the past. And so when he stopped nursing his fear and his frustrations and he started focusing on God's faithfulness, just did a 180 in his life and it brought encouragement and it should to us as well. So Paul instructs us to pray and to petition with an attitude of thankfulness And then lastly, Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. Just tell God what's on your heart. After you've worshiped God for who he is and confessed your need for him and recalled his faithfulness to you, we can boldly share our requests with him. And you know, somebody said, if you get specific with God, he'll get specific with you. So notice what happens after we follow that pattern of prayer in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ. Paul defines the supernatural peace as that which surpasses all comprehension. We don't have the ability with our finite minds to evaluate, to analyze, and to explain it. But this transcendent calm, the peace of God, it can lift the believer out of the most debilitating circumstances and trials. You know, many times I feel like I get the peace of God after the whole thing's over. What about you? You know, when God answers my prayer or he saw something, I'm like, wow, praise God. Now I'm at peace. This scripture is actually teaching us the peace of God doesn't come after the trial. We can experience the peace of God while we're going through the trial. And so that's the beauty of this scripture is that we don't have to be anxious about anything. 
And the peace of God will guard our hearts. And it's kind of easy to remember the format of this prayer with the acronym ACTS. It's adoration, it's confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so this morning we looked at several events that had the potential to create anxiety. And in each one of those circumstances, prayer was the key. Prayer was the biblical response. And as we close, I think it's I think it's responsible to share at least three things that can hinder our prayer. And so if we're focusing on prayer, and it, it is the key thing, and it is the biblical thing, we certainly don't want our prayers to be hindered, right? So let me share with you at least three things that can hinder our prayers. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so if I'm harboring sin in my life, it hinders my prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7 addresses husbands, and it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so, guys, when we're not showing honor to our wives, your prayers are being hindered. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Bible talks about being in Christ. Has there ever been a time in your life where you knew you were separated from God because of your sin and you needed a savior? And you realize that Christ died on the cross for your sin and he offers to you complete forgiveness and eternal life. Until that takes place in our lives individually, our prayers will always be hindered. It's only when we have the peace with God that we can then enjoy the peace of God. So this morning, if the Lord is speaking to you, you know, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to however God is working in your heart. Maybe, maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your savior. Maybe that's a completely new concept to you. We would love to have that conversation. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, it's time to be baptized. You've accepted Christ as your, as your savior, but you've never had your public baptism. Perhaps perhaps you're just going through something right now. And the weight of that thing is heavy and you need a an Aaron and a her to come alongside and pray with you. Well, this morning we're going to close in a song and, you know, I'm just going to be down front here and throughout the room, our pastors, our elders are here. We have people here that are ready to meet with you, pray with you. So as we sing this song, my encouragement to you is if you have a spiritual need this morning, this is the place to come for help. This is the place to come and accept Christ as your Savior. This is the place to come and have somebody pray with you. Or maybe you just want to pray where you are. You know what? God moves in all of our hearts. And so I don't know how he's working in yours. And so you respond to the Lord the way he prompts you this morning. And Pastor Michael is going to lead us in a closing song.